This podcast contains adult themes and content that some listeners may find distressing. Listener discretion is advised. On the 29th of January 2016, 20-year-old India Chipchase had gone on a spontaneous night out with her friends, Alice, Harry and Grant. They chatted, drank together and danced the night away. Alice cheersed her friends and downed a Jaeger bomb. But when she looked back up, India was gone. Perhaps she'd just gone to the bathroom or to get some air in the smoking area. She and Harry searched the club and when they couldn't find her, they assumed she'd found some other friends or gone home early. By the end of the weekend, the shocking and terrible reality would be revealed. This is the second episode of Red Rum, a podcast focusing on the true victims of crime. Episode 2, India Chipchase. India Eve Chipchase was a 20-year-old college student working part-time as a bartender at the Collingtree Pub in Northampton. Northampton is situated in the East Midlands and is about 60 miles northwest of London. It's one of the largest settlements in the UK not to be classed as a city. It was designated in 1968 as one of the new towns, a scheme that aimed to relocate populations in poor or bombed-out housing following World War II. India lived with her mother, Suzanne, in Wootton, just a few miles south of Northampton town centre. Her father, Jeremy, based in Adelaide, Australia, worked as a doctor, India was incredibly close with both of her parents and her siblings, sisters Lulu and Pia, and brother Harry. When India was 18, she had proudly posted on her Facebook page a change in relationship status. On the 3rd of December 2014, she and professional rugby player Avan Rayona began a relationship. Her Facebook page is awash with photos of the two of them holidaying and enjoying being young and in love. The only people to feature more heavily on her social media are her family. As is often the case in young love, she and Avon decided to break up a year or so later, but a testament to India's kind-hearted and mature nature, she and Avon were good friends and remained on good terms. India dreamed of one day being a paramedic. By the time she was 20, she'd already spent time working as a healthcare assistant at St Andrews Hospital and was now attending Northampton College, studying for a diploma in health and social care. She played saxophone and performed at a number of concerts at her school, as well as being an avid sport player. Pittsford School headteacher Noel Toon said she was, quote, One of our best, she played netball and helped coach the younger girls. She would win a lot of races at the athletics meet." She would spend her weekends working as a bartender or hanging out with family and friends. It was Friday 29th of January 2016. India decided to head to the local pub where she worked for some drinks with her friends. After spending some time in the Collingtree pub, they decided to head out toward town and made their way to Bridge Street. 
The Central Market Square in Northampton is a busy hustle of shoppers in the daytime. And come evening, the nearby Bridge Street is home to various takeaways and clubs. This attracts a large number of the town's university students, as well as youngsters from all over the neighbouring towns. There are a couple of clubs on the street, including Revolution Bar and Bridge 16, but the most popular nightclub on Bridge Street is NB's Cocktail Bar and Club. It sees hundreds of clubgoers pass through its doors every weekend. It boasts two main rooms with different music. A semi-goth theme links its inner cave room and its larger outdoor heated area. There's a fast food van and a large bar, serving drinks all the way up to 4am on weekends. There's definitely a general demographic that attends MBs and it is young, mainly college and university students. India was with her friends, Alice, Harry and Grant. Her relationship with Grant was complex. It was the moment before boyfriend-girlfriend. It was the excitement of being 20 years old with the whole of your life ahead of you. They made their way into the bars that line Bridge Street and started partying the night away. A little while later, sometime before midnight, the group of friends entered NB's club. The friends danced and drank, enjoying their hard-earned Friday night out together. India is seen on CCTV throughout the next hour inside the club, but at some point she became separated from her friends. Around 12.45am, Alice and Harry began looking for India inside the club but couldn't find her. Ten minutes later, India, in another part of the club, had fallen over and was escorted outside by one of the bouncers. By this point, She'd lost her friends and she was quite drunk. She told the bouncers that she wanted to go home and so one of them put her in a taxi. Once she was inside the taxi, the driver asked her for the fare up front. She refused and immediately got back out of the taxi, deciding instead to go and find her friends to finish the night with them. As she reached NB's door, the bouncer decided that she was too drunk to re-enter and refused her entry. India then tried to call Grant, but the call went straight to voicemail. She continued trying to call but had no luck, and by this point she appeared to passers-by as being quite distressed. Just after 1am, Christopher Criston and his wife Jacqueline, who were waiting for a ride home close to MB's, said that they thought she was trying to get through to someone on her phone and that it seemed like she was crying. Moments later, a man in a duffel jacket wearing a rucksack was seen arriving and queuing outside NB's club. He glanced over at India, who was at this point just behind him, pulling a locked car door after mistaking it for a taxi. India made her way back to the bouncer to wait outside the club while she continued to try and get in touch with her friends. The seemingly kind passerby walked towards her assumedly to offer assistance or help. His name was Edward Tenniswood. At this point, I think it's worth mentioning my view of the CCTV. I spent hours watching the released CCTV footage of India and Edward from outside MB's club that night. 
I'll describe in detail what actually happened in a moment. But I want to share what struck me most about the encounter I witnessed. Edward's body language and demeanour seem thought out, pre-planned. It's almost as though he knew exactly what to do in this situation. He's faced with a vulnerable young woman and opportunity. He saw India alone, intoxicated and visibly upset. All he had to do was charm her enough to get her away from the club door and toward a more private area. I don't believe he was effortlessly charming and charismatic. He's not another Ted Bundy at all, but there's something thought out about his actions. He leans in towards her, just close enough to converse, but not so close that it's creepy. He eases her in, gains her trust and takes advantage of the fact that she is more easily swayed in her upset and intoxicated state. She doesn't have friends around her at this moment to protect her, and unfortunately doesn't realise that she is being lured by Edward to go towards the taxi rank. It's difficult to see exactly the course of events from the grainy images, but we can tell from both eyewitness testimony and the CCTV what happens next. We know from eyewitness testimony that Edward asks if she's okay. He then steps towards India, leans in slightly and gestures, almost pointing towards her. Then with his left hand, he gestures towards himself. It seems he's talking quite quickly and he goes on to gesture down the street. India also gestures that way, seeming to answer his question or confirm that way. She then talks to the bouncer, shakes her head and looks down, possibly at her phone. Edward also follows her gaze downwards. When India looks back up, she either looks straight ahead or towards the bouncer, rarely towards Edward. Edward leans into her, much closer than before. A moment later, he looks behind India, almost as if someone is talking to him. We see him smile and laugh, nervously. There's no comfort to this moment until he turns back to India. Witnesses reported that he put his arm around her and said, quote, We'll make sure we get you home in a taxi safely. Unquote. Witnesses report seeing Edward telling India to put her phone away for safety. The next CCTV is from various other cameras on Bridge Street. It shows Edward leading India towards a taxi. The driver said that both Edward and India seemed drunk, although Edward did almost all of the talking. They made the five-minute journey from Bridge Street to the BP garage near Edward's house. The driver said that Edward got out of the car for a few minutes, although he wasn't sure why. It's at this point that India tried to call Grant three times. This would be the last time she ever tried to call him. Edward then got back in, although the driver wasn't sure what he did. He was then instructed to drive to Stanley Road and was stopped a few hundred yards away from Edward's home. Edward and India got out of the taxi and made their way down Stanley Road. A man called Patrick Francis was with his friend who had stopped his car on the adjacent road to take a phone call. Patrick got out of the car to smoke a cigarette and saw, quote, a woman in her 20s with an older man walking along the pavement. 
She was holding on to the railing. He was by her side. He didn't turn around and look at me, unquote. Edward steered India down Stanley Road and then disappeared into a house. Once inside the house, India sent a series of messages to Grant, including one that asked, where are you? The last message she sent was at 1.49am. Just after 3am, Grant tried to call India three times, but her phone rang out. He, along with her other friends, assumed she'd gone home alone or found other friends whilst out. The next morning, India's mother Sue woke up to India's empty bed. She thought that perhaps India had stayed over at a friend's house and would be back a little later, but it was unusual not to hear from her. Sue tried texting and calling but couldn't get through to her daughter, and with no word from India by late morning, she was sick with worry. Sue typed a status on Facebook tagging India that said, quote, India Eve Chipchase, please let me know you're okay, darling, please. Love you. Unquote. By the time India's 4pm shift came around at the Collingtree pub, the family were frantic with worry, and when India didn't show up, they reported her as missing. The police initially graded the report as medium risk, and India's family and friends launched a social media campaign to try and find her. The police spoke to Alice and Harry and traced India's last known location to NB's early Saturday morning. They spoke to Grant and found out that once he'd got home from the club and charged his phone, he discovered he had nine missed calls and two text messages from India. He called her back three times, but India didn't pick up, and eventually the calls went to voicemail. After reviewing the CCTV footage from NB's club and the surrounding areas, one of the police officers recognised Edward Tenniswood and the missing report was upgraded to high risk. The police officer recognised Edward because he had been out on bail at the time in question. In the year before India's disappearance, Edward was identified as a suspect in a sexual assault incident back in 2005. The allegation was reported nearly 10 years after the incident, so Edward was only arrested in January 2016. He had been released on bail on the 19th of January 2016, pending further inquiries. Patrick Francis, who had seen Edward and India on the morning of her disappearance, contacted police after he recognised India's image on the news. On the 31st of January 2016, the day after India had been reported as missing, the police traced India's phone to a park near Edward's house. It was just four miles away from the house that India lived in with her mother, Sue. The police approached the house on Stanley Road and knocked. After receiving no response, they broke the door down and what they found inside was chilling. As the police entered the house, they saw the living room. All of the furnishings and interior items were covered in dust sheets and Edward's desktop computer was wrapped in cling film. The police found furniture throughout the house wrapped in plastic sheets and in the kitchen, there were individual bowls wrapped in cling film. 
Newspaper clippings of women that Edward had been obsessed with were found all over the house, including a photo of British fashion model Heather Stewart White, who bore a striking resemblance to India. Police Constable Stephen Knight made his way into the upstairs bedroom. There was a bedside light which had been left on and a tray with two glasses. On the floor was a mattress with a plastic sheet over what looked like a body. The officer could see hair at the top of the mattress. Initially, he thought it was fur because it was displayed up and around. He noted it looked as though it had been placed, pulled up and around the head area like a sort of halo. As he lifted the sheet up, he saw India's lifeless body underneath. His immediate reaction was to shake her and plead for her to wake up. India had suffered blunt force trauma and pressure to the neck. Edward had raped her, during which he strangled her to death. She had more than 30 injuries consistent with the attack and the blood under her fingernails suggested that she fought hard for her life. The police now urgently needed to find Edward. They had been watching CCTV from the last 24 hours from all over the town and had found that at 9.30pm on Saturday, approximately 18 hours after he killed India, Edward is seen entering the Ibis Hotel in Northampton Centre. He is then shown using the hotel computer at 3.22am, where it was later revealed he accessed news websites and looked up the search for India. He then hurriedly leaves the hotel at 3.38am, after the staff are asked to call the police on an unrelated matter. He arrives back at the hotel 30 minutes later and stays there drinking for the rest of the night and into Sunday daytime. Edward is then picked up by police three hours after they discover India's body on the Sunday afternoon. Police enter the hotel lounge and find Edward watching TV. He is arrested on suspicion of murder, to which he replies, quote, I'm surprised you were so quick. You didn't take very long to find me, unquote. A look through CCTV from the weeks prior to India's murder found Edward wearing the same clothes and backpack lurking outside MB's club on the 16th of January, two weeks before he killed India. Edward was dubbed by neighbours and colleagues as a, quote, loner and properly odd, unquote. In the early 90s, he had reportedly stolen money from his family business, which he then used to purchase an expensive flat in London. After his father discovered the theft, he disowned him, and Edward relocated to Northampton. The resident who lived directly below Edward in London said, quote, There was all kinds of pornography all over the house. We and the other residents complained to the council, but it didn't help. Eddie was abusive and just rode roughshod over any of our concerns. I never saw him with anyone else, no girlfriend or pal. He was a strange fellow, unquote. The trial took place in July of 2016 and saw Edward claim that he and India had developed a bond outside the nightclub and that he said to India he was going to, quote, get a cab home and drink at my place. You're very welcome to come home if you want to, unquote. Edward claims India said yes, so they got into a taxi together 
He said that once they arrived home, India went into his bathroom while he poured two glasses of wine. He said that when she came back out of the bathroom, she seemed happier and more alert. He said that they shared a tender moment opposite a large mirror in his bedroom. He then goes on to make a comment that suggests he knew India well. He said, quote, She just happens to make this incredibly moving comment. Just a sweet India thing to do. The two of us were framed in the mirror and she said, It looks like we're in the middle of an oil painting. And she put her arm around me and she squeezed, almost like we were posing for a selfie, unquote. Edward claimed the pair had loving and organic sex, during which India placed his hands around her neck. He said he didn't realise that she had choked and went to sleep for a few hours. When he woke up, he discovered her not breathing and realised she was dead. The evidence showed with positivity that Edward's version of events were false. It showed that India had put up a struggle He was determined to have sex, so when she resisted him, he grabbed her around the throat and squeezed. He held her until she was unable to resist anymore. Edward's blood was found underneath her fingernails. He had reclothed India's body and then partially cleaned up the scene. Her palm and fingerprints were discovered on doorways in and out of the downstairs room and her blood was found on a pair of latex gloves that Edward had used when cleaning up. Pathologist Michael Biggs said that India died as a result of blunt force trauma and pressure on the neck consistent with an assault. The post-mortem found that India had almost three times the alcohol drink drive limit in her system, which, the pathologist stated, would have caused disorientation and mental confusion. Edward had targeted India at her most vulnerable when he was certain she'd be unable to defend herself. The jury heard from a woman who said that when she was a teen, Edward got angry so had throttled and then forcibly kissed her. She said that on another occasion, he had pinned her down and held a knife to her throat, but she managed to kick him away and escape. The court heard that Edward's house was dotted with other women's clothes and shoes that were regarded as ornaments to him, as well as numerous newspaper clippings of women he said reminded him of former girlfriends. Edward claimed to have obsessive-compulsive disorder, which is why his house was covered in cling film and plastic sheeting. He said he often wore latex gloves to stop germs, and that he would contain himself to living upstairs. Neighbours said that the curtains were always drawn and there was only ever one light on in the house in the upstairs bedroom. This is where India was found. The jury found Edward's claims of consensual sex and the strangulation being a result of, quote, over-eagerness to satisfy her in bed, unquote, absurd. They returned their verdict in just an hour and 45 minutes and he was sentenced to a minimum of 30 years. Judge Saunders told the court, quote, This was a terrible crime. It was committed because the defendant was determined to satisfy his own sexual desires 
on an attractive and much younger woman. It was a crime of utter depravity, unquote. India's family read victim impact statements at the trial. India's father, Jeremy Chipchase's statement, was videoed and made available to the public. He talks about the impact of her death on himself, India's mother Sue, and her siblings. I sincerely hope that there is no possibility that any other woman ever suffers at the hands of my daughter's murderer. Speaking from a father's perspective, I do not want any other father to hear that her daughter has gone missing like I did. And then for them to hear she's been found dead. No other father will have to touch the coffin and say, love you, Ind, and then see the curtain close at a crematorium. And no other father will be hit with a wave of emotion at a wedding as I was on realising that I would never walk India down the aisle. I'm sure that I and other family members will continue to have moments like this of pain, anguish, emotion until we take a last breath. India's Facebook page has been made into a memorial page where her family and friends can go to leave comments and look at the photos and memories of the 20-year-old's life. The Facebook page has also become a place for people all over the world, many of whom didn't personally know India, but were touched and left devastated by her story to come and mourn for her. Her ex-boyfriend, Avon, uploaded a photo of India to his Facebook page just under a year after the murder. It said, quote, So it's the 24th day today here in New Zealand, Christmas Eve. Not only is it a day to celebrate because it's only two hours away from Christmas, but it's also a day to celebrate because this is also the day that our India was born 21 years ago. To this day, I still can't believe that she is not here with us. We all really miss you, Ind, and just know we will be partying with you today, celebrating your 21st birthday. I wish you a happy birthday and an even better Christmas up there on heaven. We all know you don't let us down on a good drink up. Happy birthday, Ind. Love you and miss you heaps. Unquote. Following the death of her daughter, Suzanne became an advocate for Cheltenham-based safety group, the Cheltenham Guardians. As part of this, she also set up the India Protocol, which is an advanced, innovative and highly successful safeguarding initiative that supports lone females on nights out. There are assembled teams patrolling the streets of busy nightclubbing spots, first in Cheltenham and now in Northampton, looking to help young women who may need support in staying safe or getting home. They say that, quote, quite often an individual in distress within a nighttime economy environment will not approach door security, the police, or indeed anybody else for assistance due to embarrassment or poor judgment due to intoxication. The India Protocol circumnavigates this problem by proactive and targeted engagement. Unquote. The Northampton Guardian's Facebook page uploaded a video outlining the plan to start India Protocol in Northampton. 
They began assembling their team in January 2019 and sent out a message on their Facebook page. Quote, Three years ago, we lost a beautiful human being, a sister, a daughter, a friend. And from the darkness, there came light. In India's memory, the Cheltenham Guardians created the India Protocol. This safeguarding system has revolutionised the safety and security of lone females in Cheltenham's nighttime economy. The India Protocol is coming home to Northampton, unquote. A spokesperson for the Cheltenham Guardian said, quote, The India Protocol is named in memory of India Eve Chipchase, a young lady cruelly taken from us in January 2016. Remarkably, India's mum Sue is working with us. Sue's bravery, courage, compassion and desire to keep Northampton's young people safe, coupled with the talents of the team of guardians we are currently assembling, will make the Northampton operation a huge success. The India Protocol has helped to keep Cheltenham's young adults safe for around three years now, and it will very soon be going home. India is the driving force behind the India Protocol, the safeguarding of lone females at night. India is the motivation that drives our guardians to protect our young on the streets. We are humbled to have the love and support from India's amazing family. For this, we are eternally grateful. To India's mum, we say this. Suzanne, you are a woman of amazing grace and courage. Your love for India resonates in every conversation that we have. Your unshakable devotion to your beautiful daughter and your strong desire to see that the young of others are protected is a testament to your spirit your warmth and your passion. Shoulder to shoulder, we walk with you, now and always. Week in and week out, Cheltenham Guardians are making a real difference on the streets. We were born from the community that we now serve. We are parents, we are brothers, we are sisters, we are guardians. We will not rest and we will not falter until the India Protocol is adopted in each and every nighttime economy in the United Kingdom. This is our promise to Suzanne Chipchase and her beautiful family. This is our promise to our young. This is our promise to India. This is India's legacy. Red Rum is written and presented by Grace Cordell. It's produced by Russ Clark and Grace Cordell. Sound designed by Russ Clark with additional music by Benjamin James. Special thanks to 94 Gunships.